The Quarantine Chronicles. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today is June 15th, 2020. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Yo. You know, due to everything that's going on, pandemic, you know, coronavirus, that whole fucking rap sheet, I feel like very, very soon we're going to be able to start, you know, getting back together again, you know, almost like the old like adage, like getting the band back together. Like, I feel like we're, we're slowly on the cusp of that now. I mean, you know, as of today or, you know, last week when, uh, you're hearing this now, our governor just opened up the, uh, opened up the state again. So I don't know. I have high hopes. Yeah, it's going to be kind of cool. I mean, because eventually we can kind of more personalize ourselves in the sake of social media. Because currently I feel almost like like Buckethead or like how Maynard was viewed for a lot of times in the 90s of like an unforeseen character. <laughs> there was like no face to put to the uh, like actual product. Yeah, I mean, like we almost don't exist. We have like not, nothing going on. People don't even know what we look like. We just like produce shit. And then it's just like, oh, it's just three guys. <laughs> can only imagine what they look like. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Well, it's not really funny. It kind of sucks. Like when you have like, like we're having a conversation like us three and like normally if we're in person, it's so much fucking easier because you're able to read the dude you're talking to. Like when you say something, like you can see like a reaction and it's just like one of those things. It's just like, it's hard to like upkeep a conversation or, you know, like keep like, I'm like trying to like think of the right thing to say, like not like interest, but you know what I mean? Like keeping the conversation well, going. Too, you got to figure like a lot of behind the scenes things. When we talk about these episodes in between times, like we go outside and smoke and shit and be able to like, kind of like keep the episodes going and things we talked about and like hype up the conversations for later on. I mean, exactly. you kind of miss that whole thing. It's almost like we're sitting out here. Like, I mean, it, like I, I watch like certain television shows and it kind of loses the whole thing. Like I, like I was watching the daily show where dude's doing it from his home and it's just kind of loses that whole vibe of being able to ever watch something oh, yeah. like that in the sake of comedy. It's like he's saying jokes and it's just kind of like, you know, they're supposed to be funny, but you lose a lot. Like, could you imagine a show like Friends without a laugh track? I mean, it's bad enough as it is, but that show would have been fucking awful. Oh, yeah, bro. They're Way bringing back the NBA. They're bringing back the NBA and they're going to be dubbing in fucking audience sounds from NBA 2K. Yeah, nah, for dude. real? Yo, did you see like yeah. you know, baseball stadiums? Because they opened up in Korea like a month or so ago or like some uh, Asian uh, country where they filled the seats with like stuffed animals and stuff. So it looked like there's people there. Like it just looks full. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> Yeah, dude. dude, that's fucking yeah, crazy. Golf comes Terrible. back on. Golf came back on this past week. NASCAR's that been back on. Yeah. So, um, during everything that's going on with the country and everything, we want to make sure that you guys know that this is a safe place to come to if you want unbiased opinions on music and pop culture, pretty much, you know, in a nutshell. I mean, we're, we're kind of pigeonheld to music because this is kind of what we do. But I do feel like you get a, like, as a listener, you do get a pretty decent amount of, like, pop culture references. And we do mention a lot of things that are pretty current in, uh, in the world today. So, speaking of currency or shit being current, have you guys found anything new or interesting in the past couple weeks? 
Uh, I've been jamming to this um, French black metal album, Cenotaphy, Monte Verita. Whoa, whoa, which whoa, whoa. Hold loosely the fucking phone. Connor's listening to black metal. Yeah, this is uh, um, this is like groundbreaking. I need we need an explosion it, like uh, add in for that moment after he says that. <laughs> well, it it all started with the Russian Big Moth, and then <laughs> um, the, the broken Russian Big Moth. But um, fucking no, nah, I was just on rate your music looking for something actually to have as my new and interesting and. It was the number one album for 2020 that voted as voted by the people of Rate Your Music. So I was like, fuck it. I'll, I'll listen to it. I actually didn't even know what it was. I actually didn't even, yeah, I actually didn't even know what it was. Like I didn't know it was black metal. And then I got to YouTube and I was like, okay, it's black metal. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I guess we got to give credit to Rate Your Music because me and Bill have been trying to get Connor to expand his horizons even slightly and starting to like kind of give him a stepping stone through like Lamb of God or easier listening thrash um, and death metal bands. But Rate Your Music, I, I, they came through. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe you guys as uh, forays into uh, getting me to try and listen to metal as trying to get me to expand my horizons. How many of you guys listen to um, Regina Spector lately or uh, hmm, Uncle Tupelo? Anyone? You haven't really Neil put Young the pressure trans. on, though. I mean, Connor, I mean, typically there's a lot of stuff that you recommend that's like kind of in my uh, in my horizons where it's like, eh, never listen to it, but I'll give it a shot. But on certain Wayne, genres and artists, high. yeah, but I'm saying if I'm not really familiar with them, if you press them a little more, like me and Bill pretty much press you like every episode at some <laughs> point in time. Especially if with the new Lamb of God songs like, coming yo, out. You, yeah. Like, the I got th- the thing respect. is, I... The thing is, I just don't like the cheesy metal that you guys listen to. Whoa! Uh, I like uh, okay. I like the critically acclaimed stuff. Top of the... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I only like the stuff that makes it on the decades list of number one on Radio Music. That's all that matters. <laughs> I was going to say, man, you're just about to have a bunch of fucking Virginians being very mad at you for calling Lamb of God <laughs> <Yeah>. cheesy metal. <laughs> so... Speaking of, of interesting Virginia and yeah, Virginians. My my favorite track on it though was the the second one. Uh, I, uh, I'll show Antares or whatever. I don't know. Track two. That's the best one. Yeah, I gotta check that album out because I mean, obviously, that's in my uh, that's in my range right there. But I I didn't I had never even heard of it until you guys mentioned it. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's. Out. It's uh, tearing it up over in uh, European black metal circles right now. <laughs> you just got to expand over to like Norway and Poland. Oh, they, they're all Swedish. on it, dude. They're all on yeah, it, dude. You got, yeah, you got to just travel the whole, uh, whole society over there. <laughs> but speaking of metal, in terms of new and interesting, a few weeks ago, the band, as mentioned before, in the sake of Lamb of God, released another new song off their upcoming self-titled release. You know, I hate Jeez, to call yeah. this like the Lamb of God like minute, but it's like every time like we've recorded an episode, like a Lamb of God track comes out. And it's like this they is like, the new, new track. Thing. Yeah, they're like in sync with us to know that we're going to mention them because this is a very... I mean, it's a new drummer. It's kind of like taking the sound away from like where they were before, kind of progressing back into like a more traditional Lamb of God sound. But I'm going to say, man, in the sake of not having to keep mentioning them every time, but that new song was absolute garbage juice, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I thought it sucked. You know, I wanted to give it every chance that I could, but yeah, I just couldn't do it. And, you know, and it's crazy because 
Yeah, it, with Chuck Billy featured in it, I had like mad hopes, and all he does is kind of like harmonize the, you know, I guess their chorus lines, and it, it really, to me, that song kind of is like putting a damper and a bad taste in my mouth with like everything else on the album that's been released so far. You know, you on know what's gonna suck? This, that's gonna be the song that makes it to radio. I really, yeah, it probably will because it's shorter and it's like kind of without any type of like technical influence on it. It's very bland. Um, when was, but it's also sad. Good. Well, I was gonna. Sorry, I was gonna say when was Lamb of God's first album? Like ninety nine ish. Well, no. they had yeah, they had their burn the priest stuff earlier than that, and then they obviously changed the name because it wasn't you know commercially acceptable if they wanted to do something. So then they released um, New American Gospel under Lamb of God. I Did believe they, I want to say in two two thousand when New name. American Gospel came out. Yeah, yeah. They, they changed, changed their name to appease the corporate overlords. That's lame. Well, kind of, yeah. In the sake of that, but here's the thing, though, because in the midst of their hiatus before Chris Adler left the band, they did release a cover album under the name of Burn the Priest again. So the name didn't totally die, but Bro. yeah, I mean, they were kind of pressured in if they wanted to like have at least a mainstream following, they weren't going to be acceptable under Burn the Priest. Even Kurt Cobain yeah. played "Rape Me" on MTV. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and and that's it's, you know that just shows you the transition from the 1990s into the 2000s. We see, yeah, nah, yeah. My newer interesting this week. Um, I actually have a couple things. I was cruising on YouTube as I normally do, and this is pretty much where I find all my new shit that I listen to. Um, I found a live video of uh, De- the Devin Townsend Project playing the song "Deadhead" uh, live at the Royal Royal Albert Hall. Um, who, for who was the artist? Devin Townsend Project. Okay, dude. Honestly, I think I think you could get into fucking Devin Townsend. You said it's new. This is new and interesting. Yeah, it's new and interesting for me. I mean, I think the concert's from like okay. twenty thirteen or fourteen, but like I'd never seen it okay. before, and I was like, you know what? Like I know of Devin Townsend. Like I know he's a fucking ridiculous guitar player. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll watch the video. And I, and you know, it's like, it's like progressive metal, but it's not like dream theater. Like it's like, it's progressive, but more like ambient and shit. And like, it's more like, uh, like, like playing on chords and shit, as opposed to like shredding the whole time. It's Personally, just, I always it, preferred, um, symphony X over dream theater. Yeah, it's not like it's not like that type fucking like shreddy, crazy prog shit. Like it's progressive, but it's not progressive in that type of way. It's just progressive with it's like odd time signatures and like changes and whatnot. But um, next thing I got here, a couple weeks back, friends of the podcast Alica released their new album on Stay Sick Records called Descending. The fucking album, the album's badass. They released a a live music video or you know a quarantined music video uh last week and uh that was pretty cool um they're gonna be doing more videos and stuff you know as me and rj have been talking and uh hopefully with the new found freedoms that we have maybe we can finally get them uh him and danny on our show to finally give away their fucking merch that people have been waiting yeah. for since like the end of February. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, that is crazy, dude, that we announced the fucking giveaway and had mad people. Like it almost seemed like it was straight clickbait and like, you know, 
like follower bait and shit. <laughs> Yo, like this and you know, follow us and blah blah blah. Oh shit, sorry. Like no, nah, it's not happening. It's like we planned the entire quarantine to avoid this giveaway. <laughs> Dude, this is totally our fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny, you know, because like I remember, I remember when it when like it started coming down to crunch time, and I was like, "All right, are we gonna do this or not?" And then RJ texts me, he's like, "Dude, we're on a fucking lockdown down here in Maryland." Yeah, and I I'm remember like, what? Yeah, they bailed like because yeah, everything had just started. He's like, "We Literally are on a full blown stay at home order," and I'm like, "What?" And then it was like the next day, yeah. New Jersey shut down. And I'm like, "Oh sh- shit!" Yep. But that leads us to today. Um. Yeah, so I guess that wraps up my newer interesting for this week. Check out Alica and Devin Townsend. I do want to take the time right now to tell everybody that as of today that this podcast is being recorded, we have now reached 4,345 total downloads of all time. Insert insert clapping track. <laughs> we're we're uh we're um, one one hundredth the way to like if this was if we could get a gold certificate from downloads, we're uh, <laughs> we're one one hundredth there. <laughs> I would love to see if we get a uh, an upstroke and any listeners from France or the uh, French quarters up in Canada <laughs> for the possibility of mentioning this new release here. Well, actually, yeah, I wanna... I'm giving. I'm, they didn't seem like super commercially successful. So this might be a nice uh, little bump for them. Our yeah, a little four four thousand downloader base here, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's not Kidding. it's not often you see an extreme metal band of any genre hit number one on Rate Your Music for a year, dude. It's very rare these days. Yo, it's fucking for real. The last Quarantine Chronicles episode that got released. Guess how many downloads that that has right now? How much? What, the last one. The last one we did. But three hundred and twenty six. Damn, shit's bumping. Nice, dude. Nice. I, I've been saying it. We're we're on a, we're on a fucking roll right now. People are digging this shit. That's a tenth of the nine eleven casualties, bro. <laughs> That's a big number, dude. <laughs> yeah, for real though, I kind of like want to keep that in. That's fucking funny, dude. <laughs> that I was originally so going to cut funny. out the whole fucking. This is how many downloads we have thing. But yeah, Not to make light of the situation, but it's a big thing to compare <laughs> shit to. <laughs> yeah, shit's fucking great. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, speaking of 9-11, which happened in history, how about we take... <laughs> how about we uh, do On This Day in Music History? <laughs> All right. So, um, you know what? Okay. I'll start off I'll start off with 1979. You can have... Uh, you have 1989, Connor. Sweet. So nineteen seventy nine Joy Division. Uh-huh. I said sad to lose Joy Division, but I'll take it. <laughs> oh wait, I'll I'll do Joy Division. I want to do Joy okay, Division. Okay, you do Joy Division then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Connor's definitely taking Nirvana. I'll take Joy Division. Because I'm looking yeah. at the other ones. I'm like, the only one I really find interesting at this point is Sure you don't want to do nineteen ninety four. Nah, I'm doing I'll do Joy Division. All right, so on this day in music history, 1979, June 15th, Unknown Pleasures, the debut long player from British post-punk band Joy Division is released. Although it does not chart, it becomes highly in, or yeah, hugely influential and is widely critically acclaimed as one of the defining albums of the post-punk era. Um, it's This actually, Connor, you actually got me heavy into Joy Division because I was really turned off by them, I think, 
when I had first started trying to listen to him. And then I watched that, you know, the biopic control. control. Yeah, dude. And like, it just, because I'm already, I was already really huge into punk. I even enjoyed like the Smiths and like a lot of like, even some of the post punk crowd, like, you know, even prior with like the Buzzcocks and like all their influences kind of just like met my criteria. And after watching that movie and like learning about the band itself and Ian Curtis, the respect they had for him after and creating new order and not playing any joy division songs. It was like, there's a whole two like totally new world and understanding, but unknown pleasures, man. I think when I first heard inner zone off that album is really what like totally pushed me over the edge with like really appreciating and liking joy division. So that fucking album is uh, excellent. For for me, it might be a little more cliche with Joy Division, but it was Transmission. I remember when I first heard Transmission. I think the first I heard Joy Division was Love Will Tear Us Apart and Donnie Darko. Yeah. And, and um, I was like, yeah, hey, that's cool. People like Joy Division, whatever. That's cool. And then um, I thought of them basically as like a proto-cure. And... Um, and then when I heard Transmission around the time, I think I heard Shadow Play soon after I saw Donnie Darko, the Killers cover of it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I remember thinking that that was like better. That that Sawdust album that that was on came out in between. I think that came out, that might have even came out before Control. So that might have been my introduction to. I don't know. I forget. But I remember the first shit, three shits I heard were Loveful Terrace Apart, fucking Transmission, and Shadow Play. And I think Loveful Terrace Apart, I forget the order of the other two. And, but when I heard Transmission, that was like a Smells Like Teen Spirit or something moment. Like, I want to hold your yeah. hand or some shit. Like, I was just like, this yeah, is the shit. Solid. Yeah, yeah. Solid song. And then this was like the beginning of like really having like on demand and like YouTube and stuff and being able to kind of watch music videos on hand whenever you wanted, kind of. And I remember seeing like the live performances on BBC or some shit of Transmission yep. and being like, damn, that's a special band right there. Yeah, that's a shame. So, ah, uh, yeah. It's, it's cut down right before their American tour, man. Yeah, they never played here. No one here yep. got a chance to see them, and they never like. I like New Order, but I think they went pretty south at a point, and uh, in terms of quality control, and uh, I don't think that would have happened if Ian Curtis remained involved. I think they no, would either just not. broke up or stayed good. Agreed. Yeah, I can agree but, with that. Yeah, I'll take us in in 1989, I guess, here. We had, 10 years later, another great band put out their debut album, Nirvana, with Bleach. Um, Love Buzz, the cover of uh, 60s psychedelic favorites, Shocking Blue, or Known for Venus, was the first single. Um, Love Buzz was actually an early Nirvana song for me that got me into them, because I had the greatest hits first, Love Buzz isn't on it. And I wanted to get the albums in order of when they came out. So I got Bleach first after the greatest hits. I had that before Nevermind or in Utero. And um, when I heard Love Buzz and then I realized it was their first single, I was like, why the fuck wasn't this on the greatest hits? Like, <laughs> Love Buzz. Like, <I'm, laughs> the, the way the guitar comes in in the beginning of Love Buzz, like, I'll never forget. Like, that shit was like, damn. Yeah. It's yeah. Kirk Cobain doesn't do stuff like that every day, like <laughs> or didn't. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, he like doesn't do anything now. Yeah. Well, that's 
That's some licky <laughs> material there in the beginning of Love Buzz. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah nah, Bleach has dude, always been my favorite. Like, yeah. Yeah, that album too. It's funny because like I obviously had the huge, you know, turn off with, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I was just like, oh, Nirvana is another one of those just pop culture bands. Everyone knows the song, loves the song. It's kind of getting overplayed at this point. And then I heard Radio Friendly Unit Shifter and I was like, oh, okay, this band's not totally trying to be a fucking commercial sellout band. And I obviously listened in utero. And then I went back and like listened to Bleach because Bleach what really actually got me into Bleach is when I heard the About a Girl version on, obviously, the intro for their Unplugged, and obviously wanted to listen to the studio version of it. And then when I listened to that whole album, it's funny, I didn't know that was a cover song. I had no idea Love Buzz was a cover song, literally, yeah. until I want to say a month ago when I saw something posted about it, and I was like, what am I, fucking retarded? Like, how did I, I for this, this many years, I had no clue. No, bro, that song was a bro. That song was the B side of um, "I'm Your Venus, I'm the Fire, Your Desire." Yeah, I had no like, fucking clue, dude. <laughs> it was it was so literally the B side of that. I think like it's, it's yeah. that was always like how they picked that song and turned it into such a banger <laughs> is like beyond <laughs> anybody. Like. That's funny. I wish we could take a poll and see how many people know that because I probably know a few people that had no clue that I that was a no cover, idea. especially the band. Yeah, especially the band that co- like that actually wrote the song. That's even more fucking funny. That's, That's the only cover they had on a studio album. Yeah. Huh. I mean, they yeah, had covers a- on Incesticide, but yeah, and obviously the Unplugged. But that's not studio there. there. Yeah. Speaking of bangers. 1994, the Disney film The Lion King hits theaters. A runaway hit. The movie takes in over $300 million in 1994, second only to Forrest Gump. The soundtrack goes diamond, obviously with the lead single, Circle of Life by Elton John. Uh, It goes diamond, which means over 10 million copies. Uh, It's a record for a soundtrack to an animated film. It's crazy yeah, that's how like three. Go ahead. You're good. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say that's just a universally liked film. Oh yeah. I don't think I've ever Is met it? anybody that said they don't like the original Lion King. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how it made three hundred million, and that's like a huge hit in '94. And now, like, <laughs> if a movie, if a that's block, a, a so called blockbuster, yeah, if a so called blockbuster <laughs> movie only makes three hundred million dollars, it's like a commercial failure. They break even, pretty much. Yeah, dude. Well, wasn't um, wasn't the last two Avengers movies like wasn't the budget for that like three billion or something? Or didn't it make I, three I billion? It, it made three hold billion hold worldwide, second. I think. Which, yeah, so let's I think put this made, in perspective. Yeah. So, <laughs> Avengers Endgame, released in 2019, obviously. The budget, $356 million. Jesus. What it made at the box office is $2.798 billion. Okay, yeah. So, I, it was... I, I Worldwide, so, $3 billion. Yeah, so let's say that they pulled in Lion King numbers, they would still be in the whole $56 million. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, dude. That is so fucking wild. Dude, Jurassic World, and that was even like what? Like, at least like five years ago, the first Jurassic World. Yeah, I, th- I think it yeah, came out dude. in 15. 
at least five years ago. We can say 2015, but um, that I think I remember reading made 250, 220 to 250 million in its first week. So well, like Star Wars: The Force Awakens that came out in 2015, budget was 306 million. <laughs> they made 2.068 billion at the box office. That's a that's a that's a steal for them. They made yeah, they so made it out Abrams and company would have been in the whole six million with Lion King numbers. <laughs> 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 Fucking wild, dude. All right, nineteen ninety nine, June fifteenth. After a seven year recording hiatus, Santana released the album Supernatural, which goes number one thanks to the hit uh, singles like Smooth, Maria Maria, and Put Your Lights On. Um, it's the first chart topping album in twenty eight years. I didn't realize I didn't realize Maria was from that album. Maria, yeah, Maria, dude. dude, I remember that fucking song. I remember that in Smooth. I thought that shit was newer. That's no. the, is that the one that's got that? Yeah, that's that song. The one that got sampled like a year or two ago. Yes. Okay, I thought that was like he came on and did that. Like, like I thought that was new. <laughs> Dude, I remember MTV and VH1 back in the day played that video for Smooth like on steady oh, oh, yeah. fucking yeah. repeat, dude. Dude, you know it's funny. That was a mat, that was a huge hit and I I was 6 yeah, and dude. I remember that shit. Dude, <laughs> I was when I was cruising through fucking YouTube when I saw the Devin Townsend project thing, I actually saw Rob Thomas playing Smooth at fucking Red Rocks and <laughs> like it was like a Rob Thomas concert and I was like how the fuck does Rob Thomas fucking sell out Red Rocks? Like, how does that happen? <laughs> and then he plays like some like goofy ass fucking uh, put some goofy ass like, acoustic version of smooth. And I was just like, like, I, I was kind of I was I was let down. I'm not going to lie. All right. So I guess I'll take us into 2016. Jimmy Page takes to the stand in a trial where he is accused of stealing part of the song Taurus for the intro to Stairway to Heaven. Led Zeppelin played on the same bills with the band Spirit, who performed Taurus in their sets, but Page says he never heard that song before writing Stairway. The jury ruled in favor of Led Zeppelin. Yeah, because how are you Honestly, not going to rule in favor to... of Led Zeppelin? Yeah, they, they're kissing Led Zeppelin's ass, just like everybody does. Jimmy Page is a pedophile. It's, it's all a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> 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 you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. But no, I mean, I don't, like, have, for, I don't have anything more to say about the fucking Mr. Page. But for real, though, like, are you going to fucking are you going to convict the dude that, you know, supposedly stole this song that became like one of the most recognizable songs of all time? Of like, course not. Dude. He's fucking he's fucking knighted, bro. You probably couldn't even arrest him if you tried. He's probably he's Bottom like he pulled a Palpatine moment, bro. He'd be like, "I am the Senate." <laughs> yeah. Bottom line is though, dude. I mean, just for a rock and roll band from like the '60s and the '70s, if you're the band Spirit, like, where the fuck do you find the audacity to sue anybody for potentially stealing a riff no, no, to no, make no. a hit song? Like you, no, no, no. Listen, because it's like you think about when Taurus they did. Was I, a Spirit I remember, song. Spirit didn't sue Led Zeppelin. They're saying that Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page heard that song because a band they toured with played that song. There's video evidence or whatever of them playing that song with Jimmy Page in attendance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't Spirit. So what you're saying is though the song Taurus was by who? The band Spirit. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't. That's what I'm saying. So Jimmy, it's. 
Yeah, it says it says it says Spirit who performed Taurus in their sets. It doesn't say that Spirit wrote the band. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Or wrote the song. That's what I'm saying. I well, don't either think way, I mean, if you think about artist. almost every rock and roll song going back to like every blues scale that's ever been played. I mean, I'm sure there's like incorporations to like so many different methods and ways that people have like, you know, manipulated riffs to not sound exactly like something else and use something kind of as the basis. But I mean, even if you're the band spirit, like what did they think they were going to accomplish by this? I don't know, I man. Mean, I think I think they should throw the book at Jimmy fucking. Um, <laughs> if, if anybody steals anything from Led Zeppelin, fucking. Jimmy Page is is on the case fucking crying to the fucking queen about how someone stole his fucking art <laughs> and and if if Led Zeppelin steals it's just like oh it's fucking blues mate fucking everybody takes from everybody like <laughs> but if someone like yeah man fuck Jimmy Page <laughs> moving on to 2017 a year later <laughs> Jay-Z becomes the first rapper inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Now, I don't I don't agree with this at all. I don't like the fucking Hall of Fame anythings, dude, because I feel like they always fuck everybody all the time. Like, yeah, I, like are you kidding me? Jay-Z is the first rapper to be in the Songwriters Hall of Fame? Like, what, yeah, what the fuck has Jay-Z done that was so fucking important? Where's Chuck D? Where's fucking Tupac. Grandmaster Flash? Are they in Where's there? Where's fucking Tupac, Biggie? Like, Run DMC. Like, Ice Cube. I mean, they're in there now, I think. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but for Jay-Z to be the first? Like, dude, that's just ridiculous. Jay-Z becoming the, f- becoming the first is ridiculous. Uh, the, okay, yeah. I, I was thinking of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. is Songwriters Hall of Fame. But, but fucking regardless. Anyway. Yeah, any Hall of Fame that had Jay-Z as the first, Jay-Z wouldn't even be in my rap Hall of Fame. That's facts. Like, he's commercial. He's commercial-ass rap. Like, so he has some good hits and good radio fodder or whatever, but um, he's not like a Tupac. He's not a Biggie. He ripped off Biggie. That's how I look at uh, Jay-Z. He's like the Nickelback. Like, Nickelback is to Nirvana and Pearl Jam as Jay-Z is to, like, Wu-Tang, Raekwon, and uh, and Biggie. That's how I look at it. That's bold. Very bold. That's very, very bold. I mean, whatchamacallit, um, Nickelback is certainly more offensive to the ears than Jay-Z, <laughs> but nonetheless, they have a similar role in their uh, genres. Yeah, but you'll never find fucking Nickelback showing up in a Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, in the sake of Jay-Z, like, I mean, he did have some really good albums in the 90s. Um, I think I like everything pretty much up until the Black Album, ironically enough. Um, What's your call? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, like, to be the first rapper, I mean, I don't even know who's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame and like same thing with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like you guys have been saying is like just kind of being a, a pedestal for greatness, which really doesn't mean shit to me, in my opinion. But at the same exact time, like if you're inducting a rapper into something, it even becomes notoriety to say like we're inducting a rapper for the first time into this whatever prestigious honor. I mean, if you think of the plethora of rappers that we all named prior to Jay-Z that ain't fucking in there, 
before he got in there, bro. I mean, that's a little. We're ridiculous. talking about 2017. That, There's so many other rappers that, that had come after Jay Z that could have been saying. in there. At this, yeah, at this point in time, yeah, dude, they have like the entire fucking layout for rappers of like who to go for yeah. and pick. Half of Wu Tang should have been. One. Half of Wu Tang Clan should have been in there before fucking Jay Z. Like, how the hell was yeah, especially at least for Ru- songwriting? Yeah, for songwriting yeah, how purposes, the hell was RZA not there before Jay Z? In the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Because the like, Hall of Fames are all R- fucking scams, dude. R- RZA wrote the songs, performed the songs, and produced the songs. Like, I'm pretty sure like 2017, though, too, ironically, is like when Jay-Z became super relevant again for some reason, like having his kid and yeah. being with Beyonce. And yeah, dude, he's just kind of like sticking his neck out into the limelight every three years. He's like a fucking groundhog. So he just comes out Jay- once in a while. Dude, Jay-Z... Oh, Jay Z is. is like Citizen Kane. Jay Z is like the little, like poor boy who got like fucking shown the way by billionaire ass motherfuckers, and then became evil himself. <laughs> and he doesn't know about <laughs> Rosebud anymore. That's the problem. You know, I saw a Jay Z joke the other day. Jay Z, Jay Z is the Anakin Skywalker of the rap world. I could agree with that. I yeah. I, I saw he a Jay Z joke that was pretty side. fucking funny. It was like. Uh, <laughs> Jay-Z's the type of motherfucker that has his lazy boy at his house engraved with Jay-Z boy and he walks past and thinks man, you crazy for this one. <laughs> That's the line, dude. Yeah. But, alright, so that kind of wraps up on this day in music history. We got a little sidetracked here, but going back to the, the first thing that we had was... uh you know, we're talking about Joy Division and obviously the vocal stylings of Ian Curtis, which, you know, brought Joy Division yeah, to what they were. Ironically, we kind of hit the main topic with Ian Curtis already. Exactly. <laughs> like we talked so, about yeah. New Order and if he would have stayed with them and shit. So the topic <laughs> yeah. this week is if, you know, a prominent figure in a band didn't die, what do you think would have happened to the band or the artist? Obviously, you heard earlier about, you know, how we feel about Ian Curtis and Joy Division and what would have happened with that. But we have a list of other ones. And like, obviously, this isn't a definitive list, but, you know, we can come up with others as we go along. So um, I guess I'll start off here and fucking grab one of the obvious ones. If Cliff Burton didn't die in the bus accident. I don't feel like Metallica would have released an Injustice for All. And I definitely don't feel like they would have released a Black album. I think if if Cliff Burton never died, I'm just going to be real quick with this. Um, I think Metallica would have probably stayed like basically like kind of like more like Slayer or like Anthrax or something. They might have been... (laughs) I th- I still think they would have been the biggest, and they might I, not necessarily commercially, but just like they would have stayed like consistently good, kind of. You know what I mean? Like more so yeah. than Metallica has, because like, they wouldn't uh, have had that huge branch out effect. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like ahead, Slayer Steve. never went a really against their sound. They were just very redundant, and like kind of giving you the same work, like almost like Motorhead, same album, same style. Just that's what creates it was, fan like, bases, though. Quality. Yeah, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why a lot of Slayer fan bases, you don't have those arguments constantly about like, oh, these albums are bad. These albums are good. You never really hear about that stuff. Yeah, like, people Slayer who like Slayer just like Slayer. 
Yeah, like when you heard Christ Illusion came out, people hated on the album, but everyone went back to their days. Nobody constantly brings up Christ Illusion like Saint Anger. That's true. You know, <laughs> like that, that. Those topics don't ever well, get brought the up. The only other thing too is like you think of the progression of the band from Kill 'Em All to Ride the Lightning to Master of Puppets. There's obviously a progression in their songwriting and you know just musical abilities in general. Now, I don't see Cliff as like the fucking like the progressive type guy. I mean, I feel, I feel like we could have had like an injustice for all, but it wouldn't have been as it wouldn't have been, I guess like as, as progressive or it probably would have been as heavy, but the songs probably wouldn't have been fucking ridiculously long. Like I'm sitting here with the fucking vinyl here. It comes on fucking two discs. There's four sides of this motherfucker because the songs are so long. Like, I, I don't yeah. feel like that shit would have flew in that band if if Cliff Burton didn't die. Well, see, I'm curious, that? too. Well, I was going to say, because the driving influences behind that band were obviously, like, Lars and James. And then you could kind of say, like, Cliff and Kurt had their say as much, um, especially in the early days. But I'm curious because, I mean, you figure even after he died, they still had the writing ability to go make Injustice for All, which isn't a far stretch, really, if you think about it compared to the Black Album from, like, Master of Puppets. Yeah, but you think about but Master of Puppets. The Black Albums released. Yeah, but you think about Master of mm-hmm. Puppets too, and Justice for All. Look how controlled Master of Puppets is in like the composing of the songs and stuff, as opposed to Injustice for All. Well, I mean, they even had that ability though, because you figure if you look at um, Fade to Black, you look at Call of Cthulhu, you look at Orion, you look at Fade to Black, it had the same progression on the sense of like title track. Um, always a second track as well as the instrumental towards the end of the album, like kind of the same aesthetic on injustice for all, but it's like the writing. I don't think Newstead was like the driving force from them going obviously from injustice for all to the blackout. No. So I'm curious how it would have panned out, how much influence he was really carrying to know, like if something similar like injustice would have came out, just more compact and like consistent as master and ride the lightning, or if they would have started to try to go that way in the writing heads and like, how Cliff would have been about that. Cause Cliff, obviously you knew he was just like old school thrash all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's how I'm thinking about it. Like, I don't think they would have got shitty at all. If Cliff Cliff would have left. And then if Cliff ever left, that would have hurt Metallica bad. Oh yeah. Like if he wasn't, That's if he saying. wasn't I think dead, it would have been, yeah. yeah, but just left because yep. uh, of musical differences. Either, yeah, exactly. They stay the consistent or there's extreme, you know, obviously creative differences. And then Cliff would have probably walked away. What do you guys think about Lane? Well, dude, I feel honestly, I feel like Allison Chains was on the verge of breaking up before Lane died. I mean, you think yeah. about it, like Jerry yeah. released his solo albums, dude. And if they featured, hadn't done an album in seven years. Yeah. I mean, like you, you think about it, dude, they, they toured for two months on the self-titled album. I, they only, yeah, they yeah, only toured for two months and then they fucking went on a hiatus. Jerry did solo albums. The solo albums featured Mike Inez and Sean Kinney. Like they were basically moving on, but they didn't really close the book. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were hoping that lane was going to get better. I mean, I, I don't know that if Lane hadn't died, I don't think. I don't know. I can't see Alice in Chains kind of having worked without Lane, like needing it to work. You know what I mean? Because Lane is, needed the money. 
You know yeah, what I mean, I would, dude, I was literally going to say this. My bold opinion on Alice and Chains is that this would have gone two ways. Obviously, he dies and they keep the legacy that they have and everything that you see today. The other thing was, <laughs> you got to figure Alice and Chains' driving force was like that dark, grungy metal yeah. sound that they were producing. But a lot of that was driven from Lane being like the whole third album is about heroin, pretty much. Like he's fucked up yeah. on every album. You can hear how dark he gets on the self title. Yeah. So if Lane got sober and they kind of had this unified front, dude, I guarantee you he would have lost that creative influence that was like the driving force behind the drugs he was doing and everything else. And I honestly think you would have probably saw like, I I don't want to say like how Scott Weiland was with like Velvet Revolver and that type of sound and trying to like make something more commercial and acceptable. But I think they would have tried to keep like the Alice in Chains aesthetic and it just wouldn't fucking work at all. You do have to remember, though. Like Lane didn't write a lot of the music in Alice and Chains. Like that's pretty much all Jerry. I think Lane only wrote like four songs and one of them being Angry Chair. Yeah, of course. But obviously you can hear the differences in what they've written with William Duvall going oh, forward. Yeah. Obviously something's different. Yeah, there's like there, a positive you know I mean? vibe like with their new music. Yeah, it's almost like Jerry was able to write about what was happening during the time and then obviously Lane was able to provide the lyrical content of exactly what he was experiencing personally. But all that music was being surrounded by their lifestyles regardless if Lane was the only one being so fucked up. Um Obviously not Jerry, but again, I mean, if you can see the writing ability now without him, it, I think it would just sounded way worse if Lane had been in the band and they were taking out that type of music. I, I feel yeah, like- I don't think Alice in Chains was sustainable at all. No, any way you look yeah, at no it, way. with with Lane Staley as the singer, it, it wasn't sustainable. You know, I mean, it's it's sad to say it, but like what happened, like needed to happen in order for that band to have any kind of light ever again. And I mean, it's like Steve just said too. Like, even if he did get clean and he came back, it wouldn't have been the same Alice in Chains. Like, not by any by no, any stretch exactly. of the imagination. Like, can you pick? Can you picture Lane Staley being on like MTV News or something, talking about how sobriety is so great? Yeah, no, no. Like, him like, like smiling and looking good. Like, no, no, that- <laughs> like bold opinion, obviously too. Like you guys know my shit, my history, so I have a fond appreciation for my rock stars being on drugs. That's just how I like them. I mean. <laughs> Dave Mustaine, when he got sober, worst, like, released like the worst shit of his entire career. You know what I mean? Like, that's just how it is. Dude. Also, the worst attitude like of his entire career. Yeah. I remember yeah, that I like time. My rock stars on drugs. I remember that time me and Bill hung out with Dave Mustaine. Yeah. That time we hung for, for a combined total of like 15 seconds. I mean, we were hanging, though. We were chilling. Like. Yeah. We, we, we chilled in the fucking line for three hours for him to push us along. Yeah, we breathed the, the same air for a moment. I heard the the funniest part was when he got to our friend and he was just done with all of our bullshit from me and you, and he was just like he just like saw, he was just like looking at yeah he just nexted the shit out of him like immediately it was fucked up. <laughs> like when, like me and you tried to have like a legitimate conversation with him and he wasn't having it, and then that's when. You know, and that's when our well, buddy rolled up behind me, and he didn't even get to say hi. He just next dude. Well, what happened was me and you beat him down, dude. Yeah. Like you went first. You had a whole conversation with him about the Aston Martin and Instagram and shit. And then I got him to sign. And I think you actually kind of helped me out because he asked you who he who you wanted it addressed to. And you said to Bill. 
Yeah. So that which, which was fine because you wanted it for you. I wanted it for my cousin who's a huge Megadeth fan and who couldn't be there that day. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it, I'll give this to my cousin. And so I just said, I, he didn't think to ask me. I think he was like, all right, this is taking too long or something <laughs> like, so he just was like, he just like, I asked him like something stupid. I forget. I, I, no. No, I asked him, how's your stay in Jersey? No, no. And, he, uh, you said, um, how do you like New Jersey so far? And he, then he responded with very much. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a super PC answer. Yeah. I swear to God. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, I remember that shit like it was yesterday. <laughs> it's not every day you meet one of your fucking yeah, that, heroes and become instantly disappointed. Now, guess what, though? Let's go back to the original topic with Wayne Staley. Had you had met Dave Mustaine, though, in the 80s and he was still actively using heroin, I guarantee you that would have been a much better time. Probably would have taken a photo with you with a nice Polaroid camera. <laughs> would have even sat there and fanned the photo with you so you could all see it together in unison. You would have smiled. Probably would have gave you a cigarette. Yeah, dude. Would have been much cooler. <laughs> You're really glorifying this whole deal, Steve. It's true, though, man. I, I think about Bill Hicks all the time, a comedian. Like, they, you just like rock and roll musicians, man. If you think all the way back to the 60s, even the 50s, man, like, it is what it is. <laughs> the best artists are on drugs. Speaking of artists on drugs and going back to Jimmy Page for a second here. What do we feel like would have happened to Led Zeppelin had John Bonham not died? They are they were already tanking, man. They would have broke up like within three or four years. You think so? You think they would have put out it one all, fucking shit all, album and then it would have been over? Yeah, I think um I think whatever they had in the tank after Into the Outdoor wasn't really gonna be a killer. Yeah. I, I think obviously they would have kind of like went like the Rolling Stones route. Like they would have probably just pumped out tunes. They would have been super bitter. There would have been hiatuses. But I think they would have became more of like that prestigious live act that you're paying way too much to fucking see. I agree. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know. Yeah, dude, watch interviews with Jimmy Page, dude. He's just like you're just like God. Fuck this dude. Meh. Dude, you couldn't you couldn't get them in the same room together, dude, for anything. Like after Bonham died, I mean, I think the first live performance was Jimmy Page with like Derek and the Dominoes or Eric Clapton. Yeah, it was with Eric Clapton, and they did fucking Layla. And you should have seen him on stage, dude. He was just so fucking. You got to watch the live version of it. He's dude. so fucking out of it, dude. He plays the solo fucking <laughs> awful too. He totally ruins the solo. Don't wow. quote me on this, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if if. If John Bonham figured out Jimmy Page's fucking pedophile shit, confronted him about it, and then Jimmy Page fucking killed him. <laughs> and then John Paul Jones and Robert Plant were like, all right, we can't really be fucking with Jimmy anymore. He's fucking wild. And, yeah, he like, totally killed somebody. Yeah, we can't do this. <laughs> so it's either, okay, so those are, the, those are the dynamics. It was either they release a few poor albums and they continue to tour and not have such a good daunting to career or Jimmy Page murders John Bonham over finding out he's a pedophile. <laughs> those are the only two options we can come to resolute with Led Zeppelin. Um, Led Zeppelin is some dark shit, bro. Let's <laughs> let's go back to the grunge scene for a second and let's say Andrew Wood from Mother Lovebone never died. How would this have changed? Mother Lovebone, bro. 
Me and Chris were literally talking about this last night. Fucking bro, if if Eddie Vedder never came into the picture for Pearl Jam, Mother Love Bone, if Mother Love Bone just like their second album was ten, but with Andy Wood, bro, like they would have not. They would have probably like so. Allison Chains and Soundgarden were like a good measure, less successful than Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Mother Love Bone would have been like lucky to have been like half as successful as Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. So they would have been almost like in the eyes of respect, like the anthem. They would have been like like screaming trees or like Tad or something. Yeah, Pearl Jam would have been like screaming trees or something. Yeah, they probably would be bringing up the Melvins before Mother Love Bone as time went on. Exactly, bro. Like, Andy Wood, thing, man, though, he think... didn't fit in the grunge scene. He didn't have that grunge aesthetic. No, he had, like, the hard rock fucking glam metal type thing. He had, like, a glam sound. But he always dude. talks yeah. shit about well, bands like Warrant and stuff. And it's like, bro, this is what you're trying to be. He was well, like if a- Sebastian Bach wanted to be in a nineties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and Allison Chains like liked all that stuff and everything, but they at least knew how to fucking fit in. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know yeah. if Andy Wood would ever got there. I'm not gonna like, lie though, man. That Mother Love Bone release is just let's just say Apple and not their compilation. Hmm. It, it's uh-huh. good though. I think. I think it's one of those things where you don't say like, oh, he had to die in order to solidify that. But it kind of is like in the sense, like for the greater good to know that he left behind something where it's like, I still put Mother Love Bone up there in topics of discussion when you're talking about like those 90s acts. Yeah, I don't bring them up like Alice in Chains, obviously, or Nirvana or Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, but I'll bring them up constantly to know like, oh, here were the stepping stones to what became obviously with Eddie Vedder. And didn't put out anything where I could say, like, oh, God, like, they really ruined their fucking career. Yeah. What I can say about you know? Andy Wood is I don't really like his style, but he was super talented. He had a good voice, dude. He really did. Yeah. He was super, he yeah. was super talented. Like, he had, a, he had a good voice and he was powerful in, in, in his projection. With, dude, I fuck with Apple, man. No one Star Champion. I mean, fucking Chloe Dancer. I mean, all that shit. It's it's just San Francisco, dude. That fucking song's so good. Yeah, yeah. Bone China, Bone China. So, what do, what do what do we think about Cobain? Well, you. I mean, you have insight on this. You did I believe at one point me and you were talking about this and. We came to the conclusion that Nirvana would have broken up and he would have done a side project with Michael Stipe, correct? Yeah. Well, I think Nirv- I think Nirvana had one more album left in them. Okay. I think he would have had a project with Michael Stipe and Pat Smear and yeah, we'll say Michael Stipe and Pat Smear and I think that project would have done tops two albums, probably just one and then I think he probably would have either started another band with like people from like Olympia or Seattle, like people like that weren't like super famous and shit and done that. Or he would have just done like solo albums in his basement that he recorded with his friends. And Do you stuff think he would have done so the solo route? Quirky. Do I think the Foo Fighters would have happened? Yeah. I think Dave Grohl was, uh, once he knew he had a major in, I think he was going to take it. Dave Grohl's like yeah, the Blues also, Brothers, like we're on a mission from Gad. He, he yeah, he always <laughs> acts like he had to like take this. He didn't know if he wanted to play music anymore after Kurt Cobain died, and he's a fucking liar. He had to take this break. 
Bro, that shit. Yeah, yeah, he recorded. He recorded that shit three months after fucking Kurt Cobain died. Dude, like that was I, not yeah. a break, bro. I like, like wait. Green Day took a longer break after American Idiot. Like, I'm waiting <laughs> for the day where Dave Grohl comes across this show and hears all the shit that we talk. Because he's the goofy <laughs> bastard to roll up here. He'd be like, "We'll put it yeah. this way, dude. These motherfuckers got like fifty episodes, right and all they do is shit on me." Yeah, I'll advertise like, right now at the point in time. Yeah, dude, we even subtly bring him up when we like, oh, dude, remember when we were talking about Bush, dude? Yo, holy shit, we went back and revisited 16 Stone. We couldn't even just talk about that album. We had to be like, it's better than Color of the Shade. We just had to bring it. It's Foo Fighters album. <laughs> but it's just like, you could have said so many other things. Or like, dude. gotta take a slight jab at Foo Fighters. Dude, 16 Stone <laughs> and Razorblade Suitcase are both better than anything Foo Fighters have ever released in their entire careers. People I will go on a limb and say, good. Little Things is better than fucking Everlong. Yeah, it is. It's I'll, crazy. I will definitely say, little Things cool, is actually, if I had to put a whole list of 90 songs out there, it's arguably underrated as like, hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's up there. Dude. <laughs> it's really up there. Everlong is killed by its chorus, dude. That's what I've realized. Like, the chorus just murders its, like, cool vibe and turns yeah. it into, like, a fucking power pop song or something that yeah. should be in, like, a Kmart commercial. Uh, Anything I ever ask of you. That's a Christmas like, exactly song. like how Kmart will play, like, 45-second clips of songs just so that they don't get sued and they're able to keep a radio station going on while you're stocking shelves. I'm pretty sure that part alone is what they're able to like put into their 45 second block, and that's all you get to hear of that. <laughs> right after you hear um, Don Henley, the cover of Boys of Summer. That's fun. Yeah. So, but I will say though, if Dave Grohl wants to throw us free tickets, that's probably the only way you'll see me at a Foo Fighter show. Yeah, dude. I those think that would be prices a, are outrageous. I probably wouldn't accept them. I would think it was a trap. <laughs> I would just have to get it on recording in some way documented that he at least offered the tickets. If if they sent us free tickets, I'd be like, "Holy shit, Dave Grohl's trying to fucking kill me." <laughs> yeah, he's sure. heard. He heard the show. <laughs> if we get VIP passes, we know it's over. Like, watch, we're gonna get a fucking email. I mean, it's gonna be like dgrohl at gmail dot com. It's be like, I heard what you're saying, motherfucker. I'd be like running around telling everybody, like, "Yo, guys, Dave Grohl's trying to fucking kill me," and they'd be like, "Dude, shut the fuck up. Dave Grohl's not trying to kill you." I'd be like, "No, he is, dude. I've been talking mad shit on him on this podcast for like a year, and he heard it, dude, and he sent me free tickets, and he's trying to lure me into his death trap." <laughs> Everybody be like, dude, you smoke too much weed. <laughs> oh my god, dude, that was like the funniest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> Cause like just like the girl, scenario, He's just like that scenario is like so like real life feeling. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it'd be cool if, at, Bro, he's trying to if kill me. one day the, the podcast reached the heights where like it was like that 70s show where we, we have like a, a fucked up like fantasy sequence like that or whatever and then like it just like flashes to it because <laughs> in that 70s show they always have like the flashbacks yeah and then it's like it yeah, goes, it goes to the way scene. way back until when bill first reached out to us like hey you guys want to start a podcast absolutely not yeah. <laughs> can't fucking do it dude Dude, you can talk all the shit on Dave Grohl you want. I'm in. Yeah, Connor gets into the DeLorean and goes back into September of 2019, and he's like, yo, listen, dude, we gotta stop this podcast before it gets too far. What do you mean, dude? We're just taking off. You don't understand, dude. 
You don't understand. The first comment Dave. about Dave Grohl goes left. Bill Connors all of a sudden. I never said that. I really appreciate everything that Grohl has done for the music community. <laughs> Yo, you guys, we can't go to this concert. Dave Grohl has a net worth of three hundred and thirty million. He has his own private army within the fucking crowd. <laughs> That's awesome. Our our conversations usually get uh, you know like steered towards grunge or Dave Grohl, but for <laughs> for this topic, what about the deaths of Biggie and Tupac? Yeah, let's let's narrow this down too. Like, who do you think would have been more successful at the end of the Biggie. day before between those? Biggie two? would have been more commercially I successful. I, I don't think so. I, I think I think Biggie was already on the decline on album two. I think I think um, Puff 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 was his songwriting team. Um, I think he was going to hit a major dry spell come the two thousands, and I think Tupac Tupac always did the shit in house. Like Tupac had a history of doing that. Tupac was Tupac has so much more good material than Biggie and Biggie was already like, like everyone knows that. I mean, most people say that uh life after death is like worse than ready to die. And it's a double album. Like you couldn't squeeze together. I think there's 14 songs on ready to die. You couldn't squeeze together 14 songs from both discs of life after death and make a better album than ready to die. But Tupac was like, good all the way up until he died i mean and then even See, after he died though, he had like four well, remember how we go back and we talk about like the 90s and like the transition with like kirk obambi and like the final straw i think tupac would have carried that weight and saying like he wouldn't have been so much more um to uniform into like a more commercially successful sound i think he would have been the difference maker because obviously being with bad boy records i think diddy would have had Biggie kind of like there would have been a lot of creative differences there, but I think Biggie would have been easier to manipulate in a transitioning a sound to be more radio Biggie friendly. Biggie was manipulated. Than That's what I I'm saying. So I think in the sake of like commercial success and albums sold and like popularity through the radio, I honestly think Biggie would have had that. But I think Tupac would have been the one overall, like in hindsight to say like, which one was better, which one was like more of a fan favorite. I think Tupac would have had like more of that underground consistency to that, not to the extent what Biggie would have had through fucking bad boy. I, I think Biggie, I think Biggie smartened up after Tupac got killed and he started to realize something funny was going on and started asking questions and someone he knew wasn't a good person and told someone else, you know, and, and it went south for his ass because there was no reason yeah. Biggie should have died. It doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. But if you take that out of the mix though, of Tupac getting killed, I mean, then you just have to put it on the parallel. Well, like what exactly watch, they were doing at the same time. Watch the interviews in between when Tupac died and when Biggie died of Biggie. And you see that he's just like, this shit is crazy. Oh, it's wrong. Like, Whoever's out there, like, dude, like, Biggie didn't want anything to do with, I think at one point he was involved with, like, anti-Tupac shit, but he realized that he was, like, a pawn, you know what I mean? And he was, like, the face yeah. of the whole thing as this pawn, and he, he said, fuck this. Like, you gotta think, Pac and fucking Biggie knew each other. They were fucking big, Tupac used to let Biggie sleep on his couch when he lived in fucking New York. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um. It's it's sad what happened to them because I think really like I think best case scenario they would have completely buried their beef 
and made peace and worked together. And that would have made Biggie more real and Tupac more skilled, probably. It would have been beneficial yeah. for both of them. I, I like that scenario. Yeah. I like to think that that's what could have happened. I I think it could have easily had. I think I think Dr. Dre was the ill influence, and Suge Knight with Tupac and Puff Daddy was the ill influence with Biggie. Suge Knight being an ill so influence. I'm really curious no too because you think about too like that whole difference in dynamic between like West Coast and East Coast hip hop too. If you were able to have those two unify, I wonder what like the sound of hip hop would have became like going forward into like the early 2000s. Oh yeah, it would have changed. Because if you were able to really transcend beyond that whole fucking separation between like West Coast gangster rap and then obviously like the East Coast rap throughout New York and as well as LA and shit, like going back and forth, there was always different sounds between like West Coast style, East Coast style and the differences in rappers that went all the way through to like you know, you went forward with everything Dr. Dre did and then coming over with Eminem and then obviously everything Mob Deep was doing and Nas was doing and Jay-Z was doing out of the East Coast. But that was all based on the premise of what, you know, Pac and what fucking Biggie laid out. So if those two had been able to go forward and like settle those differences and like make music been together. like elder figures in the rap yeah, that could dude. have checked people when I they mean, even put think out of the divide between the producers, man. Like, imagine Diddy, like, doing, like, West Coast rappers. Fucking even Shug, if, like, he wasn't the way he was, being able to do some East Coast styles. I mean, like, that could have been totally oh, different. Yeah. Dre? All that shit. All, yeah, all signs p- point to Tupac and Biggie. Tupac thought that Biggie tried to kill him. That was Tupac's only problem with Biggie. Yeah. All signs with Biggie point to... He may have been involved with people that didn't like Tupac and were violent about it. But later on, he certainly like he didn't. I don't think he really wanted Tupac to get killed. I don't think he did either. Yeah, I don't think he did. Um, it's it's sad with them too, because more so than even Kirk Cobain, I really feel like they them like especially even Biggie. And I'm a way bigger Tupac fan, obviously, but I really especially feel that Biggie didn't have to die. Like, yeah, Biggie yeah. got wrapped up, got fucking caught up in this shit. Like Tupac was the target. Or whatever, but um, Biggie just got caught up in it, you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I guess do we want to go over any more of these ones? Does anyone have any other ideas? I mean, I, I, you know, I see Chuck Schuldner here. I, Lennon, I see John Lennon here. I think John Lennon would have been exactly basically like Paul McCartney and George Harrison and Ringo. Like, I think they were all heading on a similar. Yeah, but they probably album every four or five years. Yeah, they probably would have had one of the most successful reunion tours ever. But we all knew who had the most successful (laughs) single. (laughs) Fucking ding dong, ding dong. How could how could you ever forget? (laughs) No, I think we should come down to a general consensus. Even if we want to pick ones that weren't mentioned, let's pick one that we think would have been successful and one that we think would have been flopped or unsuccessful. Okay. Um. Bon Scott would have definitely a- ACDC. I think. I think either way, whether he died or not, I think they had a good album in them in 1980. And if they would have had Bon Scott on it, it probably would have been even better than Back in Black was. Yeah, they, they were trajectory for, for bad, greatness. Agreed. For bad, I probably got to go with probably John Lennon honestly <laughs> I don't think he would have done much in the 80s I think he would have been pretty uh, boring 
if he kept going. Oh yeah. shit. Um, for me, I would probably well, for successful, I would probably have to go with Cliff Burton. I feel like Metallica could have had maybe not like as a commercially successful career because obviously I think Cliff Burton would have put the fucking kibosh to the black album. That probably never would have happened, but yeah, I do feel like they probably would have stayed more true to themselves and us not getting a St. Anger. That's a win in my book. Absolutely. Yeah. So better. And then probably a tank would have to be Lane Staley, like compared to what we were all saying. And, you know, with him not having like the drug, you know, like his drug issues and everything and, you know, his personal demons with him not having them, I don't feel like he would have been as convincing as the singer for that band. And honestly, if they had ever, if they had ever gotten back together, I mean, you have to think about it. Jerry was having a successful solo run. Like he didn't have to do Alice in Chains again. Like there, I even heard there's talks sure. now of him doing yep. another solo album. Jerry can't travel. Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think huh. I actually read that too. Yeah, because Alice in Chains is supposed to, to start I recording mean, this year. Well. And Alice in Chains, dude, hasn't. When did Black Gives Way to Blue come out? Like oh nine or something. Something like that. Let me look it up here, dude. They've been they've been going since before that and ever since. Like they started playing shows again in like two thousand five, and then the album yeah. came out in like oh eight or oh nine. Like they've been going basically since they but they started playing shows again in oh five, and I think they started touring in like oh seven or something. And they basically been going pretty consistently since 07. Yeah. Like, I mean, with, with writing, recording and touring. Black is Blue came out in 09. Devil Put Dinosaurs Here came out in 13. Um, and then Rainier Fog came out in 2018. So it seems to be, you know, like at four to five years, they're putting out a new album, but they're touring their fucking asses but off. They tour. Yeah. They constantly are here. Like, I believe we've Philly. talked about that's that before. I, that's how I know. Like, we've talked about this yeah, before. Like, like, you can be guaranteed that every August you're going to see Alice and Chains in Camden. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if yep. we even saw them this August. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Alice and Chains is just like the first fucking cockroach band that fucking plays <laughs> after the fucking apocalypse pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not even coronavirus can kill fucking Alice and Chains touring schedule. <laughs> so what about you, Steve? That's great. Uh the successful one I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna go on a limb and just because of where they were in their career, I'm gonna say Joy Division um had a lot more in them. Um they That's really only had the two yeah, two studio releases. I mean if you equate substance as well with all the studio releases that didn't make it on the feature lengths. Um, you know, touring in the United States, like I think they would have branched out and kind of like had the same type of run with a different genre as what you saw with like the Smiths or the Pixies, the Cure. They would have got put into that realm as they progressed into the 90s if they made it that long, you know, as a band. Because even Ian Curtis with all his mental issues, I still think if they were able, if he lived and didn't hang himself, could have got those things figured out enough to a point where he could have kept going forward. Yeah. That's why post punk never had the explosion that like um like exactly. metal with Metallica or or alternative with you know Nirvana had because Joy Division didn't happen. You know what I mean? Joy yeah, Division let like, the match go out without like lighting other fires, man. They really just it like totally dissolved with that. Yeah, yeah like they Everything they would have 
they would have been like the Beatles of that post punk scene where they were just like the clear leader. You know what I mean? They would have been above you two. They would have been above fucking the Smiths. They would have been above the cure. They would have been above REM. They would have been above everybody. The Pixies were way later. They made that United States tour and really branched out. Then released a third album after getting that much exposure. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. I mean, like you figure the 80s, even the 80s as a whole culturally would have been way different if Joy Division kept going, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, if you think Closer came out after his death, so that album they would have been touring for with United States dates, that would have like that album would have blown up. And then the cultural that third sea change you had in the 90s after Nirvana, you would have seen 10 years earlier in the 80s with Joy Division. Oh yeah. Totally like different. hair, hair metal would have not been the dominant genre in yeah, the 80s if, if Ian Curtis lived. I don't think like I think Ian, I think closer, I think had big potential like. Like closer, it even could have been their breakout in America, like because they would have probably they would have probably done a re-release where Love Will Tear Us Apart was on closer. And, and, the oh, thing, 100%. and the thing about it is too, if that album, if that album got huge exposure, the thing about Closer is, I enjoy it, but I always go back to Unknown Pleasures. So if you could enjoy Closer, you can go yeah. back in their discography and really be like, wow, and like listen it, and then you even get your hands on Substance or even their greatest hits that they released. I mean, you figure their greatest hits they released, they had two studio albums, and they have two greatest hits albums between Substance and the Best of Joy yeah. Division. And they're both fucking excellent. I mean, even all their well, Warsaw stuff that's released on yeah, there. The, I was just going to say the Warsaw stuff never even got like released until like substance or whatever. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and that stuff is like, it's not as plentiful. There's not as much of it, but the stuff that's from the Warsaw tape or whatever is, is just as good as the shit that's on unknown pleasures and closer. Like Absolutely. it's diff, it's different, but it, it's, it's just as good. Like it's joy vision. Yep. So who? What was your, what was your not successful? Yeah, the not successful is going to be an odd one, Bill. You'll understand this probably more when I pick this, but I'm going to say Death with Chuck Schulner. Okay. The reason why I'm saying this is because their discography is like a hundred percent complete in my eyes. Every song, every album, it's one of those bands that's just flawless. Yeah. The issue was with Chuck at the end of the road. Sound of Perseverance got a lot of heat for being kind of like a forced album because he had to release it under his contract. He was doing stuff with the other band he was in, Control Denied, and they were giving him a lot of shit, saying that he took a lot of the stuff he had written for Control Denied and used that to be songs for yeah. death. But here's the thing. I don't think Sound of Perseverance lacks in any way. I don't. Even if that was the case, he did a fucking hell of a job writing eight-minute songs for a full-length album. I, I love mean, Sound of Perseverance. Album. The issue is, so do I. I think, like I said, every album that they've done is flawless. The issue is... I think because of that, he would have pursued that more progressive sound where he was just playing guitar and control denied. They went with a cleaner vocal style with that band. And I don't think there would have been any more death. And if there was, it would almost be like legacy tours. It would almost be the same thing that they're doing now where they're just kind of touring as a namesake. And if they had released a new album, I think his influence, the way he carried through death would have been totally diminished. Like every album, he had different members. He was constantly changing like personnel, constantly getting new producers, bringing guys in from other bands. Like he, it was his brainchild. But like I think with the whole control denied thing, I think he would have lost that real creative desire with Death, and you wouldn't have saw the same efforts that you were getting from like all the other releases. I, I think Death would have actually had a bad album on their fucking discography if they had kept going. 
I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that a hundred percent. I I do agree one hundred percent that fucking I I do think that Death's discography is complete. I mean, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that he had to die, but I mean, yeah. you know, you you everyone knows how the metal community is. They always want more, and it's never good enough, and blah blah blah. But fucking. Death and the you know the genius that is Chuck Schuldner like I mean it's un it's fucking undeniable. I mean, like you think seven what seven complete albums? Yeah. I mean, and and they're all like there's no I mean there's no many bands that like even achieve that feat, let alone to be a death metal band to say like wow, like I can literally listen to any single one of their albums and like a, every single song and be like all right yeah, like I'll listen exactly. to it again again again. <laughs> Not many bands seven is huge. That. Yeah, seven, seven complete albums, all of which like no and no filler. There's not a single filler track I could point out on any one of their no. albums. Not one. Dude, I fucking love Death. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta love Death. Who doesn't love Death? <laughs> love Death. Love the all Death. All right, so you heard it here. These are, you know, what we think could have happened. I mean, if you have any suggestions on what you think could have happened i mean do you feel like death was inevitable for some of these guys do you feel like they you know the bands they left behind have succeeded do you feel like it they have you know uh do you feel like they didn't succeed uh, tell us what you think get us on our social medias instagram and twitter at ratm podcast facebook.com slash ratm podcast and our email is always open for any kind of hot juicy submissions or any kind of criticism or you know anything or dave if you're listening you can give us some free tickets and Mm. assure us that connor isn't going to be murdered by you and uh you could do that at RETM podcast at gmail.com. But we should label this it. episode. Is Dave Grohl going to murder Connor? <laughs> Perfect. If we had episode names, this episode should have been called fucking holy shit. Dave Grohl's trying to fucking kill me. <laughs> the Grohl, conspira- the Grohl conspiracies. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our personal suggestions this week before, you know, Dave Grohl sends the foo copter down here to land on my house and crush me and kill me. Um, I get who wants to go first. I got uh grace by Jeff Buckley. Um, it's hard to, um, pick a favorite track on this, but I guess lover. You should have come over is probably my favorite. Yeah, nice. Song. Yeah. Great album. Too. It's a great album. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Buckley, like he's crazy. Um, Haunting. Um, it's crazy. He's a, like one man, uh, fully righteous, non pedophilic Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> the Led Zeppelin, it's okay to like. <laughs> so, all right. So, I had a pick, but I just changed it at the last moment because I've been on a punk wave the past few weeks that we've been doing these and uh, kind of staying on that. The band I'm picking is Crash. The album I'm picking is their fourth release. It's called Christ. The album is released in 82. The highlight track is actually the first track. It's really good. It's called Have a Nice Day. 
Nice. Have a nice day. <laughs> I didn't know Bon Jovi covered yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, dude. He really changed it a lot. Talk dude. about covers. Really disappointed <laughs> with that cover. It, John Bond made it his own. <laughs> John Bond. <laughs> My suggestion for this week comes in the form of the supergroup Down, um, their album Nola, and my highlight track would have to be Underneath Everything. I didn't want to choose Stone the Crow because I didn't want to be Stone. fucking too obvious yeah. with it, but you know, like mm -hmm. I, I was, I was adding songs on my Spotify, and I put Stone the Crow on. Stone the Crow is the only Down song I know. That's why I said uh, it. <laughs> well. I, I obviously um, I put that on my Spotify. I like that song because it reminds me of Backwater by Me Puppets. Okay, I can see that. Well, I, I don't know something about it just reminds me of Backwater. <laughs> um, yeah, I I put Stone the Crow on my Spotify, and then I was like, you know, I should really give the whole album a shot. And I put the album on, and I listened to the whole thing, and you know, I this is different for me though because I like my metal. Not to be like super produced per se, but like, like yeah. produced. Like I wanted to like sound like master of puppets is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wanted to sound like, like done. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when you have something that sounds like lo-fi or when like you want it to sound, yeah, full. I want it to sound full. I want it to sound complete. I don't need it to be like super mega fucking hyper fucking Bob rock produced, but I would like it to be, you know, like produced and I feel like Nola isn't that type of album, but for some reason I'm okay with it. I feel like, I feel like the mix could have been a little bit better on the drums, but that's really the only gripe I have with it. And like I said, underneath everything, I heard that song and I was like, this song's fucking killer. I think this is perfect for Phil Anselmo. I wish that he didn't leave Pan or, you know, he didn't leave Pantera. So Dimebag didn't have to die, but damn, that's another one we could have did. What would have happened if Dimebag didn't die? Do you think Pantera would have yeah, ever yeah, gotten back together? Our, yeah, that would have been interesting. Pantera, Pantera would be like Lamb of God. Like they would still be going. And yeah, but do you feel like they were? I would, they would, would still be alive if Dime didn't die. <laughs> do you feel like they would? They would have reunited um, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Damage Plan would have done maybe one more album and then Pantera would have got back together. I think it was inevitable. That would have been that would have been a great life to be living in. But anyways, speaking of lives to be living in, our group suggestion for this week is to check out the biopic slash musical Rocket Man. Is it about Kim Jong Un? <laughs> this <laughs> this biopic is about the one and only Sir. Elton John. Um, I have yet to see it. I know you've seen it, Steve. And um, yeah, I was. Uh, it's um, the musical aspect of it is really what kind of turned me off. The movie, the movie itself is great, but there's a lot of musical numbers that kind of like just kind of split their way into the film during like times of like whatever's happening. Like he'll start saying something, and then it'll just transition into a song. And there's so many of them that like. The movie's like really getting good and really getting serious. And then like, like Saturday night's all right for a fight. And they're all like fighting in the streets and dancing around a bar. Like, and it's just like, damn. 
Like it was getting so good, and then all of a sudden, this like musical breaks out, and it totally trans like transforms the entire vibe of the movie. That sucks. Yeah, it, don't get me wrong though; it's a good watch. But again, like the musicals for me, like there was just they were good, but there was just so many of them. There was so many. Well, I'm I'm actually excited to watch it. I mean, uh, other than that portion or that part about it, it's it's definitely something I wanted to see. Yeah, it's definitely like I said, it's definitely worth a watch because you get to kind of see a side of Elton John and like learn more about his story that you wouldn't typically know outside of like a lot of his songs. I mean, even like just Benny and the Jets. I mean, knowing his history, like that song's all written about drugs. Like I didn't even really know what a Benny was until obviously like reading about the song itself. But you get to kind of really see like he had a lot of like different influences like behind like what you hear in his like pop oh, yeah. songs. Well, yeah. I guess on that note, that kind of wraps it up for this week. Thank you, loyal listeners, for joining us in another installment of the Quarantine Chronicles. Hopefully, this is one of the last couple that we have to do like this. And, like I said before, if you want to get us on our social medias, you can get us on Instagram and Twitter at RATM Podcast, Facebook.com slash RATM Podcast. And as always, our email is open and ready at RATM Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, this is Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast signing off for the evening. I'm Bill. I'm Connor. Uh, I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. Goldbuck Career is a weekly podcast focused on making short episodes about helping you sort things out. We're unique in the sense that we combine both personal growth and personal finance, exploring interesting topics such as setting a goal, mitigating procrastination, mindfulness meditation, exploring the mysteries of sleep, and on the other hand, tips on money managing, investing, and much more. If you are interested, find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter at Goldblock Career. Hope to see you soon.